Uh, this week, we continue our sermon series. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a stadium. All right. Uh, our sermon series, Corners of the Field. This is the second to the last week. Uh, n- next week, we wrap up this series. Um, and next week might be the most important one. And I'm not just saying that to get you to come back. Um, next week, we look at what the implications are um, regarding rest when we talk about leaving the corners of our field unharvested. So if you find yourself in a world that just seems exhausting and tiring all the time, um, next week's message uh, addresses that, talks about it. So um, as we jump in this week, have you ever had to let go of something important to you, uh, whether you sold something or gave away something or had to leave behind something that was important to you only to watch somebody else use it whether they took good care of it or not. I remember being a kid and my dad talking about a car that he sold and he remembered watching the guy he sold it to just absolutely not take care of the thing and it broke his heart that this car that was his favorite car was... Anyways, have you ever, have you ever experienced something like that where you let go of something that was important of, to you? Maybe you, you moved, you sold a home and the, the new owners like painted it purple or something or maybe that's what you wanted. I don't know. But like... You had to let go and you realize that it's outside of your control now. You've, you've let go of it and now somebody else gets to control this. Um, I had an experience when I, when I first began preaching. Um, the first church that I was called to pastor at, um, the first call was actually to be an interim pastor. And I, I think I've shared this story in some context. I don't think I've ever talked about this from the pulpit with you guys. Maybe I have. Um, but I was called to be the interim pastor at the church that I grew up in. Um, the church where I was baptized, uh, the church where we held my dad's funeral, the church where Jessica and I met and were married. I was called to be the the interim pastor there initially because um, there was some conflict within the church, some accusations made, the senior pastor resigned, uh, the entire church board resigned. Uh, it wasn't a Nazarene church. There wasn't a denominational. It was a, a community church that wasn't affiliated with a larger denomination. And so <clears throat> the entire leadership basically said to this conflict, we're out. We don't know what to do, so we're done. And so that was a fun phone call to get. Um, at the time, I was, like I said, it wasn't Nazarene. I was what was called an elder. Basically, I was like the assistant pastor. Um, I was in college. I was preparing to be in the ministry, um, and uh, I hadn't quite started seminary yet. I was finishing up my time at Olivet when all this happened, <clears throat> and they called me to be the interim pastor after all this went down, and I stood in front of the congregation and said, I don't have the answers to all of this. Many of the members of the, the church were hurt by the conflict, and I, honestly, I still don't know all the details of whatever happened there. Um, some people left, but many stayed to see what was, what was going to happen next or how we moved forward. And so I stood in front of the congregation that first Sunday, uh, honestly, when I read the, the pastor's resignation letter and said, I don't know what you all are going to do next Sunday, but I'll be here and I'll have a message. I don't know if that was um, being naive. I don't know if that, you know, being a young, uh, ambitious uh, somebody, you know, trying to get into ministry or if it was a sense of care and compassion for this group of people that just went through it, basically watched their church go through a train wreck. Um, <clears throat> and so they asked me to be 
the interim pastor, which involved a lot of different moving parts. Um, and then after several months, they basically just called me to be their senior pastor. And so I was a college student. I was working full-time as a logistics manager in a warehouse. And uh, Jessica and I had just, had just gotten married. And uh, I was preparing to start seminary. And um, like I said, this church was very near and dear to me. It was my church. It was the church that I came to know Jesus in. And then if you fast forward three years from when I started there as senior pastor, um, the congregation was a lot smaller. Over time, people who initially hung around to see what we were going to do found other places they wanted to serve. That wasn't as difficult. Uh, Some people quit going to church altogether because of some of the hurts. Um, And so this church slowly, slowly kind of withered. I talk about this time as if I was called to be their hospice chaplain and gave them a graceful um, journey towards the end. Um, As I was the senior pastor of this church working full time, uh, you know, like I said, fast forward three years, I was attending seminary, married, uh, now had a newborn. Um, Jonas had joined us. Uh, knew that things needed to change. Like there was just, God was leading us to, doors were closing, it was time to figure out what was next. And so out of the blue, one, one day I got a message from a pastor of a church down the road from us. Um, this church had been established church for a long time, but they had started, they were using a storefront, and then their pastor lived in the attic above the storefront. Um, It was less than ideal situation for their congregation. It was less than ideal uh, situation for this pastor. And so they called and left a message about (coughs) wanting to rent our facilities on Sunday evenings. They knew we didn't use them on Sunday nights. (coughs) Sorry. And uh, so I met with the pastor. I showed them all around the church. Oh, man, I got a tickle. Um, and he was super excited about the facilities. We had a, a really nice facility. And at the end, he said he was interested in renting it. He just wanted to know how much. <coughs> oh, man, I'm not going to make it. Oh, I see Paul getting water. I hope that's for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to be really jealous. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, wait. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, and I had talked with uh, our church board. Perfect. People throwing stuff at me now. This is a great Sunday. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I had talked with the board before meeting this gentleman, this pastor. We all knew that like, our time together was winding down. <clears throat> and so they asked me to talk to this pastor about not renting the church to, the, to this other church, but basically giving them the church. Um, on paper, the presentation would be a merger, but I would resign, step out of pastoral ministry at that point in time, figure out what's next for Jessica and myself. <clears throat> And they would, this church that was growing and doing ministry in the community would have 
a great facility, debt-free to launch. <coughs> Man, it's going to be a rough one. Um, and so I hadn't told him that yet when we were doing the tour, but at the end he asked me the question about renting it, and I said, what would you think about it just being yours? And Pastor Greg lit up, like, what are you talking about? So I explained where we were at in the life of our church and my life and where the rest of the board was at. And so <clears throat> he set things in motion. Uh, he worked with our board to move this through. Somehow, and I, I don't advise this, I don't necessarily say this is the best route to go, but he managed to go through this whole process of merging with us without the majority of his congregation knowing about it. <clears throat> there was people that, like, core people that had to sign off and do approvals, but he kept it a surprise. And so <clears throat> there came the day where it was my last day as senior pastor of New Hope Bible Church in Custer Park. And it was the day that uh, <clears throat> this church was going to move in. And so we concluded our services. We kind of uh, had a <clears throat> kind of a bittersweet type of service, similar to what Hope Church is preparing for for next week at their place, where it's the, God has done amazing things here. We've experienced God's faithfulness, his work in our lives, but he's moving us forward onto something else. And so <clears throat> I kind of just kind of dallied in the office as everybody else cleared out after service, and I was packing up the last few boxes of my books uh, when Pastor Greg showed up with his congregation because that Sunday during service, he announced that they had a church building and <clears throat> they were super excited. It was, for many of them, the word miracle. Like, I heard them say that over and over and over again. And so I'm sitting in my office packing up the box, the last few boxes and just reflecting. And I hear these other church members going through the church, talking about the sanctuary um, that I had helped kind of refurbish, uh, talking about the, the baby grand piano that was, was purchased with memorial money for my dad's uh, funeral, and it has his name on the side of it, um, talking about the Sunday school spaces where um, I had been taught about Jesus, hearing the kids running around in the fellowship hall, and I was so happy for them in one moment. You know, it was such a blessing to see that nothing is wasted in God's economy, in God's kingdom. And yet I was terribly sad. Because I had no plans for the next day. I didn't have another ministry job lined up. I had no idea what was next. All I knew I was saying goodbye to this place. <clears throat> and so I sat there and watched this other church make themselves at home in what up until then had been my church. And while they were all down in the fellowship hall, excited, talking about <clears throat> what was going to happen, I think they were actually praying for each and every space in the church, which I think is awesome. I slipped out the front door and I left. And I drove out of the parking lot. Just sad. But excited what God was going to do there. That was 16 almost 16 years ago, 15 years ago, and uh, that church is still there, Pastor Greg is still there, um, and they're ministering to the community that I grew up in. Um, 
But it was a hard thing to watch somebody else make themselves at home with things that were really important to me. To let go of things that I thought were mine, <laughs> in some sense, to control. And for the past several weeks in, in our sermon series here, we've been looking at what it means to leave the corners of your field unharvested, to leave grapes on the vine for others, for those who have needs. We're talking about living generous lives. We're talking about being uh, generous, living in a way that we have space and resources to give to others. We've talked about trusting God, seeking God's kingdom as a way to help us uh, push back on fear and an idea of scarcity because I can trust that God will care for me. I can let go of what I have in my hands. We've talked about remembering our experiences with God uh, as a means of building our faith and a means of sharing our faith. Remembering the goodness of God in the past helps us to trust that God will be good in the future. Living a life of grace is a direct result of having received God's grace. Right? This is what we've been talking about. And today's sermon <coughs> is about welcoming others. I know when a pastor stands up in front of a congregation and says, we're going to talk about welcoming others, your mind probably goes to a few different places. The first place is probably, maybe this will be a sermon encouraging you to invite people to church, welcome them to church, which I think would be a great thing. I encourage you to do so, invite people. Uh, you might be thinking, um, that this is a sermon on welcome because when people come to church, we need to make sure that they're comfortable and they feel like they're family or friends as they enter into our, our building and our spaces. And that would be a great message too. But those, that's not the point of the sermon today. Um, we're going to look at Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. This has just kind of been our, <coughs> our theme verse for the series, so we'll just refresh that. Uh, if, Tom, you got the first set of slides for me? Um, this should be familiar if you've been a part of the series at all. This is kind of our theme for the, the sermon series. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. <coughs> right? So we get this idea that God is commanding his people to leave these edges, these corners, these grapes. Um, the idea of leaving corners of your field unharvested or leaving grapes on the vine uh, might sound good in an ideal sense. Um, but the more I thought about it, it probably would have been a strange thing to look out your, your window and see strangers picking your crops. In the same way that it felt strange for me to watch this new church move into uh, what was, up until that point, my church and start putting their hands on the things that I've been responsible to care for and that I've been a part of for so long. It'd probably be weird to, to look out the window, look out in your fields, look out in your vineyards and see people just helping themselves to your resources. Even if you deliberately left it for them, it would probably be strange to see those people taking things that are yours and using them how they want to. We're not used to having our resources outside of our control. This command from Scripture means that we would have to be okay with somebody just walking into our field and taking what they needed. <coughs> 
even in our obedience to leave the crops out there, the, vi- the grapes on the vine, I think it would take some getting used to seeing strangers helping themselves. But over and over and over again, the Bible tells us this is what God's people are supposed to do. In fact, the Bible tells us it's not just the behavior that matters, that we leave the grapes on the vine or that we leave the corners unharvested. It's not just the behavior that matters, but our attitude towards those who need them matters as well. Those who have the greatest needs, those on the margins, those who don't fit in, those who don't have a place to call home, our attitude towards them matters. In fact, Jesus tells his followers, he tells uh, the crowds that our attitude towards those in need, those who have the greatest needs, is our attitude towards him. And so if you've ever wondered how you would treat Jesus if he lived near you today, if Jesus was your neighbor, if he lived in Battle Creek in 2022, what would you do with Jesus if he showed up today? Jesus says, well, how you treat those with the greatest needs around you is exactly how you would treat me. We're going to look at Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 through 46. It's a pretty lengthy uh, passage of scripture, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus himself. It's not just me saying this. This is Jesus himself saying this. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you <coughs> since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? (coughs) When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would today gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. 
soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Amen. Grab a drink real quick. So as we look at this, concept that that Jesus brings into the conversation today in light of the corners of the field thing we've been looking at the past few weeks. I hope it starts to become clear that God not only is concerned about our resources, what we do with them, that we make them available to people, that we are generous in terms of letting go of things, providing help for those in need. Not only does he care about our behaviors with that, but he equates our serving others with our serving him. To take care of others who have needs is to take care of Jesus, he says. He says to love him is for us to be hospitable. I keep using that word and I can't say it. I should find another word. To be hospitable, generous, and caring to others. God is not only concerned with the physical needs of these people who have needs, but he's also concerned uh, with our attitudes Towards one another. So God is definitely concerned with people and their physical needs. He's not ignoring them, but he's also concerned with our attitudes about those in those positions. Because God's grand work, his great mission, the great thing that he is doing is a work of reconciliation. It's a work of redemption. And not just between people and God. We can emphasize that, and that's a good thing. The God and people who have been separated by sin and set apart on different paths and could not function in relationship. God and people are separated by sin. Of course God wants to work to reconcile that. But God is also at work reconciling people to one another. Relationships within the community. God is at work redeeming and reconciling those relationships. In fact, that is the reason why the church exists. It is to be a community of holy relationships. It is to be a family, a fellowship of people who live reconciled to God, and because of that, they live reconciled with one another. That is the church. The church is called to be a place that reveals, that discerns, that understands the kingdom of God and reveals it. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, yes, but it is revealed in our midst through physical creation. Remember the Lord's Prayer, that things would be on earth as they are in heaven. The kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, but it's revealed, it shows up in physical ways here on earth. And so God has specific instructions on what the kingdom should look like. And so we hear this story in Matthew 25, Jesus is separating sheep from goats, but he's doing it based upon how well people love those with the greatest needs. The people of God are called to lead the way in this effort of caring for those who have needs. To demonstrate that the kingdom of God is present in the world here and now. Because who else on earth has the ability to discern and reveal God's presence into the world other than God's people? God's people have been chosen to bring peace, grace, forgiveness, and life to a place wherever it is that we are located. 
So we leave the edges of our field not only to make sure people's physical needs are met, <clears throat> but to make sure that those who need that, those resources know that they are welcomed and cared for. They are welcomed and greeted and wanted, not shamed or condemned. So what if, and this, this would never happen, but what if <clears throat> someone came to his hand food pantry and they came through and they got their food <clears throat> and on their way out to, their, to get their box loaded into their car, <clears throat> Peggy said to them, hey, you've got your food. Now quit being lazy and go get a better job so you can make more money and buy your own groceries. I mean, it would never happen because, number one, that, I don't think Peggy could ever say those words. <laughs> but if you've ever been here on Food Pantry Day, you know that people coming through this pantry are treated like family. It's about the food, but it's not about the food. It's about the food, but it's really about the people, Right? The food is an avenue to let people know that somebody loves them and cares for them. And because of that, there's physical provisions. It's conversations, not condemnation. The food pantry team on a, on a distribution day wants the people leaving here knowing that they are loved, knowing that they are welcome, that if they have a need that they can call somebody when life is the hardest. And you might be thinking, yeah, it's easy to give, <laughs> it's easy to be generous with the food pantry because it's, it's not your stuff. I mean, I'm really, take two loaves of bread, do it, like whatever, like whatever you need, take it. It doesn't cost me a thing. It's real easy to be generous with other people's stuff. It's different when it's my field or my grapes, though, isn't it? But that might be the point in all of this, that maybe where this whole sermon is going, uh, are my fields my fields? Are they really for me? Did God bless me, give me, uh, allow me to receive these resources for my own benefit alone? Or are they for others to begin with? Are they really my fields? Are they really my grapevines? Is God asking me as a Christian to give a portion, a percentage of what I have towards the work of the kingdom. You know, I put my 10% in, my, in the offering plate and the other 90% I'm free to do whatever I want with. Is God asking me to give a portion or percentage of what I have? Or is God asking me to take whatever God has given me and use it to meet the needs of others because God has met my needs? Are they my fields? Or do, as I grew up hearing in the church, everything I have belong to God. Everything I have came from God. When we see people standing in front of Walmart asking for help, which is a very real thing, if you drive out here today after, after service, you'll probably see people standing in front of Walmart. When we have people come into the food pantry, or when we see people with different needs calling the church for help, our tendency might to see them as maybe a little bit different than us, to put them in a different category, you know, to, to, to other them. Um, and by doing so, we might think of them in, not on purpose, but we might think of them in demeaning or dehumanizing ways. 
So even though we're giving the grapes of our, our vines or giving the, the grain of our fields, we might be thinking, you have to eat my grapes because you're too incompetent to grow your own. You've made such a mess of your own life that here you are taking my grain because I know what I'm doing and you don't. You're out here picking my harvest from my field because you're a foreigner or a stranger. Why can't you just go back to where you have your own resources? Why did you show up at my door, my field, looking for help? Why is it my responsibility to take care of you? You're living off my land because you're alone. Where's your family? Right? Surely you have somebody that can take care of you. Why is it my responsibility? Or maybe I'll help you out, but only because I'm supposed to. <laughs> it's the Christian thing to do, and I'm a good Christian, so I'm going to do it. But I'm not happy about it. Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. So we've been reading all through the sermon series, Leviticus 19, uh, 9 and 10. If you skip down just a few verses down to 33 and 34, so part of the same teaching of the law, you'll find these two verses. And it says this, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God is telling his people in Leviticus, you might be tempted to see these needy people as a stranger, as a threat, or even as a target. But remember that you once were exactly like them. Love them as you love yourself. Matthew 25 says to love them as you love Jesus. The command to leave the corners of our fields isn't something we have to do because we're better than others. It's a command to see ourselves in others. And it's really a command to see Jesus in others. It's a command to share all that God has given us to make those who are isolated or those who have needs in the season of life that they're in feel loved and part of a community. This is the mission that we've been given as a church. A mission to bring peace, to bring grace, forgiveness, and new life to communities. And the way we do that is to treat those whom society says doesn't matter enough, doesn't matter much as if they were Jesus himself. Our culture <coughs> wants to assign worth based off of how much money is in your checkbook, how much work you can do, what you look like, <coughs> right? How many followers you have on social media. I don't know why that's a thing, but that's a thing. That's how culture is telling us to define people's value and worth. And here Jesus is saying, nope, just look at them and love them like you love yourself. You hear echoes of the golden rule, do unto others as you would do unto yourself, right? Way back in Leviticus, 3,000 years ago, God is teaching his people. He said, hey, you're going to see some people that don't look like you. They're not in the same boat that you're in. But remember, you once were in a situation similar to them. So may we see Jesus in all that we encounter. But more importantly, may we see Jesus in those who come looking for help. May we welcome them as we would welcome Jesus himself. Church, we are 
going through this, this merge process with Hope Church. And a big thing that gets me excited about that is our missional opportunity to have a presence in a neighborhood, a community that is under-resourced. We are going to reach out as a, as a church. A, part, a big part of this is to give us the ability to reach out into a community that has so many needs. And if we don't understand that our job is to welcome and reconcile and bring peace to those people that show up at the doors or that we go into their neighborhoods, if we sit back and say, here's my grapes, but man, I really don't like you, we're going to undo everything that we're trying to accomplish. It'll all be a waste of time and resources. Our goal is not to, to just make sure like the food pantry, make sure that there's food in people's pantries or in, in their refrigerator, but that they know that they are loved and welcomed and part of their family. Our goal with, with everything we're doing is that five years from now, that our family is much bigger. There are people that didn't know Jesus, that weren't part of the church today, that will be a year from now. And as much as that sounds like a great idea, it's not easy. As I sat in that office and watched people take over my church, <laughs> I had to push back on my own instincts, my own sense of, of loss, of control. I said, no, I want these people to experience what I've experienced in this church. I'm still Facebook friends with Pastor Greg. I jump in and watch their live service every once in a while because it brings me joy to see others experiencing relationship with God in a way that they couldn't have done if I had not gotten myself out of the way. Let us welcome those that have needs. Welcome those who we do not today call family. Let us welcome them in such a way that it would be like welcoming Jesus himself.